you who are joining us for the first time, we've been going through a series through Ephesians, and it's been just rich. And today we get a little deeper. The first three chapters of Ephesians is really a theological establishing the gospel, what God has done, understanding of God's plan to take a hold of you and I and to save us. And that God has brought unity in all nations and all peoples, Gentiles and Jews, and he calls them one. And he says, in this oneness of the church, we look around and we have so much diversity, not just in age or ethnicity, but in our giftings. Some of you are great with math. Some of you are great with art. Some of you are great just listeners. That's actually an awesome gift. We like talkers, but a great listener. And God is saying, in this diversity, there is e pluribus unum, out of many, one, with Christ the head. So he takes us from that to say, how now shall we live? And chapters 4, 5, and 6 gets real. And the next few chapters will get connected with every aspect of your life and my life. If you ever said, does the Bible speak relevant to us today? The answer is emphatically, yes. And we start today with the basis of who God is and what Jesus has done for you and I, how he's taken dead people and made us alive. So would you join me in a word of prayer and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, may you just be filled with glory and and pleasure from us. You are beautiful. You don't need us to worship. You don't need us to have the full glory, but you invite us to you because you want to share in your love share in your uniqueness and god we thank you for your incredible mercy to call sinners like us to forgiveness to repentance and to new life so god teach us may your spirit guide us and would you speak to us not from the words of a man on the pulpit but lord would you speak to us by the clarity of your word and the power of your holy spirit lord awaken us to new life awaken us to live life abundantly in christ and we pray these things with gratitude in your son's name. Amen. Say amen if we live in a free country. Amen. That was a, what's, what's wrong with you guys? Like, that was a pause. We live in a free country. Amen? amen. Woo! Liberty. So, with keeping the laws, we could do whatever we want? Yes? All no. oh, right. Almost had you there. See, we live in this country, and you could obey the laws... But there is still a standard that we keep. Uh, There is a standard that we have for our, I'm going to have in a few years guys coming down and saying, hey, can I go out with your daughter? And I'm going to say, no. But anyway, if you do, when when my daughter is like 80 years old and she can start dating, I'll say, here's some standards to keep, right? We have standards. And when we go to church, there might be standards. And when we go to work, there are standards. When we go to school, and you're a high school student, you just got into college, and you're saying, I know where I'm going, you still have a standard to keep. I'm seeing articles of kids getting rejected after they didn't finish their senior year well. And the college that accepted them saw their grades and said, we we retract our offer. There are these standards we keep. And I want to share with you that in, in America, we can remain in the bounds of the law, but you have to have a standard. CNN had this article where um, if you use Twitter or Facebook, just, ra- just raise your hand, just if you use Twitter. We all, it's like maybe more than eight. 
Wow, we live in a new era where Facebook and Twitter, you have to watch what you do. And there are standards. You're not breaking any law per se, but you can get in big trouble. For example, there's a, I'll, I'll keep their name, you know, just anonymous, but there was a man who did a coffee blog. He was working at a, as a barista in a coffee shop, and he was posting his, you know, complaints about coffee snobs, and it was funny. But then he wrote this, if you remind me four times that you've ordered decaf, guess what you won't be getting? <laughs> and he was writing this, and, and the owners finally caught wind of it because word gets around, and, the, and he got fired. And the technical reason for his, the firing was he was posting during work hours. But we know there was a lot more. He was not being wise. How about this one? In Denver, there was a math teacher who tweeted about her, quote-unquote, hot students and how she likes to smoke weed. <laughs> so in Denver, it's legal to smoke marijuana. You know that. So there's nothing law-breaking there. But obviously, not prudent. So her employers were not happy and placed her on administrative leave. Her students thought she was so cool. They protested, but she still lost her job. In the end, she was fired. So, so we look at the world and we realize it's a free country. It's not just about keeping the law, but you have to live wise. And when we don't keep these standards, you will have repercussions. So we all have standards. It's not a religious thing. This is a professional thing. This is a school thing. This is a life thing. And what Paul takes us to in Ephesians 4 is that now that we've been saved, guess what? In the beginning of chapter 4, he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, he's saying to you and I, it's not just enough that now you're saved, Jesus Christ, and we're going to heaven. The way you live your life now has to be worthy of the calling of this incredible gift that God's given to you and I. In other words, you don't live the way you feel like it. It's not a free country in that sense. So Paul is saying, let's raise the bar here. And um, he starts by saying, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, in the Lord, that in Jesus Christ, in living as I am his slave, Jesus is my master, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's saying, you will not live anymore like the world anymore. You are different. Paul says in, other, in Philippians, you, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Do you know America is not your home? If you're a Christian, your ultimate home is in the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ as king. This is not the ultimate. This is penultimate. And we live as Americans in a country living as citizens of a different world. And Paul is saying that's you and I. That's why we're brothers and sisters in Christ. In Uganda, China, Latin America, everywhere. So Paul is saying in Christ we are no longer living as them. So he's saying here we have a new standard to follow. That's great. You know, um, when my wife and I got married, there were standards that changed, right? I shared this with you a few times. When I said I do and she says I do with regret and she, you know, we, we married, I, I can no longer say, hey, honey, I have a girl that I want to ask out on a date. Is that okay? <laughs> which, to which she'll say, no, I have exclusive rights to you. Your standards will change. I, I, that was hypothetical. Um, hey, honey, I want to go to Hawaii, you know, but, but uh, I want to go by myself. I don't want to take it. 
No. Hey, honey, I want to buy that 90-inch TV. I forgot to tell you about it. It's coming tomorrow. I'll be sleeping in the garage. We have standards that we keep, and what Paul is saying is something has happened. You are no longer your own. You are doulos. You are a slave of a master. And I dare anybody to tell the master, here's how I'm going to live my life. And here, master, I want to tell you how you're going to tell me uh, I'm going to do, do in this life. We follow him. He doesn't follow us. And Paul is saying, here's a new standard. And don't be like the world. Why? Verse 18, they live in a darkened understanding and they're separated from the life of God. They think in ways that are detached from God. Now, here's what's interesting. When we talk about Jesus, when I hear in the churches and even in the culture, we hear Jesus loves all people and Jesus is loving. Jesus doesn't judge. Jesus loves. But have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6 and 7? Do you know what Jesus does in Sermon on the Mount? He takes an existing law and he hyper drives it. He says, you've heard of divorce, right? But I tell you, if you're divorced and you marry someone that's divorced, you're committing adultery. Wow. He says, you've heard of adultery, right? And this is kind Jesus. And he's being so harsh. You've heard of adultery, right? Yes. Well, I never committed adultery. I never touched any woman. But he says, I tell you the truth. If you even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs to be the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You see what Jesus is doing here? He says, he takes the law and he hypers it. And he says, you've heard of love your enemies, but I want you to turn the other cheek and serve them. Wow. You see, Jesus sets the precedence that if you're a follower in my kingdom, Jesus is saying, we live to a higher standard. You don't just go, here I am, take it and leave it, God. So here's a helpful thing, and if you forget nothing else, just remember this phrase, God accepts us, hallelujah, the way you are. Amen? Hallelujah? Woo! That's good. If you're an adulterer, liar, thief, criminal, idolater, Jesus says, come, and I accept you the way you are. But he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. You see, the qualification of why you and I could go before Jesus, and he says, come, is not because Jesus doesn't care about the sin. He says, I am the one that's going to wash you of your sin. And the basis of you approaching God is because I died on the cross for you. And in that relationship, you can be forgiven. You can be made whole. You can be loved. And you can be transformed. Isn't this the good news? Guys, ladies, this is what Jesus is saying. Anyone could come. Just come unto me. And we can just follow him. So he... The one who raises the bar welcomes us, but he doesn't leave us the way we are. And I want to just let us know as a church, therefore, when we say, when Paul says we don't live like the Gentiles do, we don't excuse sin. Can you imagine a guy who's an elder at a church or a deacon? He beats up his wife every day and goes to church and says, praise God. I love the prayer of confession time because I'm not perfect, but God, you know me, we're cool. So God, praise God, and then goes home and says, woman, boom, boom, boom. 
praise God, he's, he's purified me. And then we go home and we look through filth. We, we, we steal because, hey, I need to make money. We lie and cheat. And then we go on Sundays and we say, praise God for his grace because I could dump this on him. And Paul is saying, live a life worthy of the calling. Amen? You know, we're not saved by grace and then that excuses our sin, but Paul is saying, so repent and turn from it. This is why our Lord died for you and I. And so, so um, Tim Keller, he's a, he's a pastor who I, I really like, and he says, he defines sin this way. Sin is not merely doing something bad, like, ooh, I said a bad word, I sinned, or hey, you're bad. I love this definition of sin, another way to look at sin. He says, I use a biblical definition of sin as idolatry. Hmm. That puts the emphasis not as much on doing bad things, but on making good things into ultimate things. So sin is taking the place of God as our ultimate thing and then putting other things in place of it. My career, my children above God, my, 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 my reputation, or my orientation, or my, or my work, and making these things bigger than God. And, and Tim Keller is saying this definition of sin is not a bad activity, but you have replaced God and made something more ultimate than him. And I want to tell you guys, if you don't know what you're talking, you don't understand this, if we look at our hearts, there are things constantly waging war to take the throne of your heart every day. It is not a one-time battle. It's everyday battle. Do I love this more than God? Lord, I surrender to you. You are my God. So this is what Paul is saying to us. And then the ultimate thing for Christian is what? I'll take Jesus' word, Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So the ultimate thing for you and I is to give all of ourself, heart, mind, and soul to God in love. Nothing close. That everything else to our love for Jesus Christ becomes like trash. So that's our ultimate thing. But when we make anything more treasurable, we are not living a life worthy of the call. We are living as Gentiles do. Look at the world that doesn't have God. Hey, I believe in rights. I believe in projects. I believe in my fame. I believe in my career. That's great. And then Jesus says, you can't take that with you. So this is what he says. So how do we love God? John 14, 21 Love is not a mushy love. Love is not like, oh, I love you. I feel good. This is love. Look at the way Jesus defines loving God. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. How do you know you're loved? You listen to them. You know, I know my, I love my wife, not because I always feel happy. If you've been married 50 years, some days, right? Can, can, can I get a, a yes? You don't always feel that, that puppy love, do you? Remember that puppy love? When I first started dating, I see Kathy and I'd be like, oh! And then when we first touched hands, it was like the electricity. It was like, you know that love? Hey, that doesn't last. <laughs> I, I, it's still there in a different way, but that exciting, perfect love. We have a more mature, deep love. And some days you feel like you want to strangle one another more the other way to me. <laughs> so how do we express our love? We say, honey, 
What do you need? And I live out a way that honors her. I serve her. Can a man serve his wife? Absolutely. I submit and serve her as she serves me. Do we feel like it? No. But do we do it because we love? Yes. Do you see that love? We've bought into this lie that love is just this feeling. Love is a costliness to yourself for the honoring of the other. And what Jesus is saying is, if you love me, you will obey my teachings. Do you feel like it? No. But you know what? You are worthy of it. Do you get that? Amen? Amen. You know, so this is what Paul is saying, like, don't live like the Gentiles. You live in a new world. And then he says, verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. You are not this lost, live whatever feels right, do it. Go with the flow, go with the trend. You were called to something different. So Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, in Christ we are called to, say this with me, think different. That was like a motto, I think, of Apple, but... Ah, okay, so, so Jesus says, so Paul's telling us we think differently. Um, let me ask you, what forms your thinking? Just, just take a moment, just take a moment to think. What forms how you think? What are you reading? What are you watching? What do you listen to? And I wanna ask you, the things that you input into your mind to form your thinking, are they the things of God? Are they the things that help you to make the best and wisest and godliest choices? You know, it's surprising when, when, when I talk to men or guys who struggle with, like, pornography, and, I, and, I'm, and, and they struggle with stuff, and, and I say, hey, we all struggle with this. It's, it's all of us, man. And I say, hey, what do you do last night? Well, I was on the computer for four hours. Doing what? Uh, surfing and looking at reading stuff I shouldn't be. Now listen, friend, <laughs> it's not that hard in this regard. What you put in, garbage in, garbage out. And the things that we put into our mind that goes into our hearts. So there was a poem someone wrote, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. It all starts with our thoughts. And what Paul is saying is you, don't, you think differently and we're not the same way as the Gentiles. We're not the same way as the godless. And he says, having lost all sensitivity, they indulge themselves in their own feelings. So, can I ask you something? Why are Christians not to go with the flow? All right, that's a re- maybe half rhetorical question. Why are we not to go with the flow? And I heard this, I'm borrowing this from a pastor in Ohio, and he says this, even dead fish go with the flow. (laughs) But it takes a living fish to swim against it. 
Christians, we are not to go called to be part of this world in the sense that we follow them. We are in the world. We are the salt and light in the world, but we don't go with the flow because even the dead fish float down the water. But it takes a living fish to go alive. And what does Paul say in Ephesians? You have been dead, but have been now made alive in Christ. Hallelujah. We are not dead people, and we will not live as the world does. That is exciting to me. That doesn't make me feel superior. That doesn't make me feel condescending to them. It makes me feel like, thank you, God, that I could think and I could choose, and you give me the freedom in Christ to be holy and to live differently. So Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So how can you know God's will? Experience the transforming of the mind. And Paul's going to, we're going to go into how do we do that? So we're going to get into that. You, however, did not come to know Christ this way. That was your old self. And verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, let me ask you something really silly, but I'm making a point. Now, how many of you go shopping for clothes, right? And then when you go find your dress or blouse or shirt or pants, you go into the dresser room. How many of you, raise your hand, please. I want to know, be honest. You keep your old pants on and then put the new pants on top of it. How many of you uh, get a shirt and you just put it on top of your sweater and to see if it fits? And you say to your wife, does this baby look good? You know, there's a, there's a, I'm not, I'm being half silly, but do you sense the common sense of this? You can't put something new on unless you first what? Shed the old self. And what he's saying is your old self is not your body that you cling to. But I like this shirt. Honey, you haven't changed it in two years. But I like it. You smell. But I like it. Take it off. And I'll give you a new shirt. Now, as silly as that sounds, what Paul is saying is Christians, we do that. This is who I am. You can't change me. <laughs> Honey, you're going out drinking with the boys two in the morning and playing pool. That's who I am. You've got to take me in love. Listen, <laughs> if there are some things that doesn't help you and your family and doesn't glorify God, we need to really think hard to say, have I really shed off my old self? Does it mean you're perfect overnight? No, it means, Lord, I desire this old self no longer. That's it. I desire this no longer. I don't want this to be a part of me. And then when that happens, we could put on the new self. Now, I want to share with you something scary that I, it just occurred to me this past week as I was studying this text. It's not just becoming Christian. Listen to this. Do you know what our aim is as Christians? In verse 23, this is freaky, yo, okay? To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. That sounds good, right? That sounds good so far. I like to make, be made new. Listen to what he says. Created to be like God. Can, can you say that? Created to be like God. What is our new self in Christ? We are created to be like God. What does that mean? It means God forms in you. He creates. The word create is in there beautifully. It's not something you do. It's created in you. You have become 
one with God in his character of holiness, purity, and righteousness. So he says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, our goal in, is not to go to church on Sundays. I'm a good Christian because I've been going to church every week. No. Your goal is this. Are you becoming more like God in your righteousness and holiness every day? That is the push. That is that rub. So we don't look at our sins and says, that's what I am. I'm only human. Take it or leave it. We look at that sin and we say, I repent of this. God, change me. I am desperate for you. Is that what God has called God has called you to have more than just what you and I want. Um, parents know this, and, and I'm glad I don't give my kids everything that they want. Um, have you ever read The Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, man, it's a great series. And in the series, there's a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there was a character in there named Eustace. And he was so selfish, they said, hey, help us. And he said, no. He was a very self-centered snob. He was like, I'm not going to help. I don't want to help that. And he was very spoiled, rotten, and bratty. So he didn't help, and he was very self-centered. And in that ship, they landed on this island called Dragon Island. And they said, don't get off the boat. Don't go on the island. And guess what he does? Spoiled, selfish. What does he do? He gets off the boat, and then he falls asleep on the island. When he wakes up, guess what happens? He realizes he's transformed into a fire-breathing dragon. At first, it may be cool. Some of you may want to be a fire-breathing dragon. But he realizes, this is not what I want to be. This is a curse. And he realized at that moment how selfish he's been to his friends. And he cries out, help, basically, in a symbol of, help me. So, I want to read this from a summary. After Eustace suffers as a dragon for several days, Aslan, Aslan is the Christ figure in the story, he's a lion. Aslan pays him a visit one night. He says that Eustace can enter a pool of water only after he sheds his dragon skin, his old self. Eustace scratches his body and sheds a layer of scales. He peels off another layer of skin, followed by another, but when yet another layer of dragon skin appears, Scrub believes he may never be able to fully shed the dragon skin. Finally, Aslan says to Eustace, quote-unquote, you will have to let me undress you. Aslan takes his lion claws, rips as deep and raw into Eustace, and is convinced that the claws go straight into his heart. But these deep tears do the trick. The scales removed are so much thicker and darker and more knobby-looking than the others have been. Aslan throws Eustace into the water. Stinging him terribly for a second or two, Eustace tells Edmund later, after that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I turned into a boy again. There is this balance, tension. You have to want to take off your old self, but your old self gets crushed and peeled off by the hand of the mighty God. The question for you and I today is, do you cherish this old self, this sin, excusing it? Or do you turn to God and say, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this in me. Peel it. And what he says is when you can do this, we can live a life in the way we speak, in our emotions. I'm not going to go into that for the sake of time. 
But this holiness, how can you and I become like God? It's when you simply offer yourselves to God and allow him to transform in you the nature and the characteristic he wants you and I to have. You see, the sermon is not go and try harder to be good. What, what kind of sermon is that? <laughs> Durr, I know, you know. The hope and the message here is you can't do it, but if you desire it, he will do it in you. Let me just read this to help you. The growth in my relationship with God is a gift from God. It does not happen because of any effort on my part. My task in prayer then is to learn to approach God with open hands so that God can place his gifts there. Did you hear that? Your job is not to say, God, I'm going to be perfect for you. No, your job is to say, open hands. Can you open your hands with me? Humor me here. What do you, how do you feel when you do that? It feels humbling, doesn't it? Here I am. You place in me and you do the work that I need to have done. And you receive the glory. And the gift of God is he changes us. And he peels off those layers. And it's going to hurt. Oh, I love that. It's so hard. But then when you realize the freedom in Christ, what did Eustace feel? It felt refreshing. And I became a boy again. God's desire for you and I is to be restored and to be the people, the men and women God has called us to be. It doesn't come from what you desire, but it comes as we repent and say, Jesus, I want that new self in you. So church, is God good? I look at this and I say, I cannot worship anything else. There's nothing more worthy who loves me this much, who would take me, who says, Jason, you're a pastor. Oh my gosh. And I still love you. And I say, why? And he says, because of my son. And he says to you today, I love you. And it'll never change. But I will never leave you that way. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we say, praise God. You are just amazing. We don't want to play religion. It's, just, it's frustrating. Even if we get good at it, we'll become arrogant. If we are not good at it, we think this religion is a joke. But Lord, we thank you for your words, this delicious words of truth, that we do wrestle with this old self when we've been made new in Christ, and we want to come before you with open hands to say, Lord, here I am. Mold me. Strip away the old self from me. I can't do it, but you can. I desire to just simply be what you have called me to be. Help us as a church to be sanctified. Help us to be as a nation to be pure for you. Not so that we could judge and condemn or point fingers at others, but we could live a life of humble witness that there is a God who can indeed transform us from the inside out. So Lord, change our hearts and our thinking. And Jesus, start with me. And Lord, penetrate all of us so that you would receive us as living sacrifices, living in obedience, hearing your voice, and giving you glory. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer?